for the sake of the recording. Again, I'll welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Uh, today's study in our ongoing series called Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction, um, will be study number 59 uh, today. And the, the date stamp for the recording today is uh, September 18th, 2022. So, um, again, I'll welcome you to the study. I hope you have come with open minds, open hearts, and um, a yearning to look and to know and to search and to see. Um, I, I was reminded this, this past week I had to, uh, we just have got the, the truth for today sent to the printers, and they should be going out. Early this week, uh, I do. Early this coming week, I do believe. And Chip said, "Nita, if you could, need you write you to write an article for us this this time." And so uh, I got to pondering around. The hardest part for me is always getting started. What to talk about, and um, what to what to do as a as a study. And it seemed like it for me. Well, for whatever reason, it always seems to be the most difficult part. And hardest thing to do but i i dug back to to what we're doing here with the revelation and i expounded a little bit on some things that we discussed uh last week about our position with the church the body of christ and how that relates to the to the revelation and which of the events the appearing or the coming uh actually occur first and uh so i so that's what i did my article on so if you would want to Checked. I just kind of was reminded of that as we were um, as we were getting ready this morning. So you may want to um, check that out along with the other awesome articles that are um, included in the TFT this month, and uh, that should be uh, going out both uh, in the mail and email next week. So our purpose in this uh, this entire study series, as I've continually said, is to investigate the angels and giants. That are mentioned in Scripture, and and by doing so, alleviate some of the confusion that some Scripture verses seem to create, and that's that's the whole point of a study, is to for you to leave being less confused or better informed than you were before you arrived in the study. And to me, that's the the takeaway. It, at work, you know, they do these things where when you have a meeting, you should have an agenda. You should have it all laid out, you know, for what everybody's going to talk about. And then at the end of the meeting, you've got an action item list. And everybody that was in the meeting should, you know, if they're deeply involved in whatever's going on, they should have an action item, something to do uh, and to to accomplish. And so for our meetings, your action item is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to... Um, gain more knowledge of him and of his word that that's the whole point for everything we do when you boil it all down and uh the holy spirit is the teacher not me trust me uh, the holy spirit is the one that will reveal the word to you if you are to understand it that understanding will come from the holy spirit of god and uh, hopefully that spirit can take some of what i say and um and bless you with it this morning. Uh, last week we we continued on with our investigation of the angels and the spirit beings uh, mentioned in in the book of Revelation in chapter ten, and so this is kind of turned into an angel study chapter by chapter, 
in Revelation because there are so many mentions of not only angels, but these other spirit beings that repeatedly come up. And all these, all these beings and, um, spirit beings that we keep running to, running into in the, in the book of the Revelation, it, it absolutely amazes me. And this book always intrigues me. As I said in my, uh, study that I wrote for the TFT paper, this book continually intrigues me. It always has. Uh, and I by no means am claiming, um, understanding, full understanding of everything that's written in the book of the Revelation. Um, if I started now, studied the Revelation every day from today until the day I die, I still won't have all the, the things put together, I don't think, for the book of Revelation. But, the, but is that a good reason not to do it? No. Uh, we should, I think you should still do it. I think it's a, I think it's a book worthy of study as all the books. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Is the book of Revelation profitable unto us? Yes. Does it contain the hope of the church, the body of Christ for today? No, it does not. But understanding the things that happen here just makes you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it helps you to understand his majesty and position. Within the overall plan of God, the, the great plan of ages that's taken us back, as we've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, to God becoming once again all, not only all, but all and in all is where we're headed, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul mentions that. So turn with me back, if you would, this morning to the, the book of the Revelation for today's study. I want to keep looking at the angels and the spirit beings uh, that are revealed to us in Revelation chapter 11. And yes, this is probably going to be moving forward chapter by chapter until we get to the end. We may end up with a hundred studies in this. But I've already made up my mind. I'm not going to let that determine the content or how how in-depth we need to go with each of these chapters as we go through the Revelation. We're going to do what needs to be done to bring these things out. And if it ends up being an overall study of the, of the book of the Revelation, then that's fine. Uh, maybe that's, maybe that's what the, um, the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to do to take a look at this. So turn with me again, Revelation 11. Uh, we've pretty much taken it chapter by chapter for the most part up until this part. Uh, and, and we find in Revelation 10, 9 that, um, John, it says, he went, and I went unto the angel, and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, knead it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth as sweet as honey. And we went back and looked at, at Ezekiel's similar uh, account here that he wrote in chapter 3, in chapter 3 of the book of Ezekiel. He had a similar experience. And John says in verse 10, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. So the prophecy came true. And he said unto me in verse 11, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And then we pick up in chapter 11. 
where it says this. Follow along with me here. I'm going to try to get through the entire chapter today. We may have a little time to start getting into chapter 12, which uh, we'll have, to have a little discussion about chapters 12 through 15 whenever we arrive there. Because as I said about the, the book of the Revelation, the things that we read are not necessarily in what I would call chapter-related chronological order like they are in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, everything happens pretty sequentially. Uh, as you read through Acts, you, you can be pretty assured that the things that happen in chapter 7 happen after the things that are mentioned in chapter 5 because that's what Luke is doing there in, in, the, in the second treatise, the book of Acts to Theophilus, that he's giving over, he's telling Theophilus the chronological story of what took place during the Acts period and ultimately how the Acts period draws to a close there in 28, chapter 28. So here in Revelation, not so much. The things kind of skip around. Uh, then we get stories within stories. We get events within events. Uh, that One builds upon another. And so we've got to be very careful in the Revelation how we read it and how we assign chronology to it. Uh, so keep that in mind as we go through this. And listen. Again, I, I will give you the disclaimer that I am not a, an authority on the book of the Revelation at all. Uh, I'm a student just like the rest of you guys trying to find some answers. And um, sometimes it's, it's kind of neat to do that together. And that's what we're doing this morning. So it says in 11.1, I think this is John continuing on. Uh, with this same angel or whichever angel it is here that's speaking to him. Because in verse 1, if you look and you see the words, and the angel stood, um, those words are omitted in the original text. So they're not, they're actually not even there. So uh, one of the things that would really help with the, with the book of the Revelation would be to go back and kind of retranslate the verses to get them a little closer to the original coin A, so that you've got a clearer meaning from the verbs. A lot of the verbs are presented in the English in the incorrect tense. And that throws, I think, a lot of, a lot of folks off, because it does me. I can go back and, and read it in the, put the, the verbs back in the, in the proper tense, like it says in the companion Bible. Like, oh, that, that kind of changes the meaning of the verse here. And a lot of times it will. So, that would be one of my admonitions to you would be to check all the notes. If you're going to study the book of the Revelation, especially with the, uh, the help of the companion Bible is a big help, but you need to check all those notes and um, understand the verbs that you're dealing with. So John says, And there was given me a reed, a reed, likened to a rod. And the word rod there, uh, is the Greek word that means a scepter or a staff. And uh, look at the note in the companion Bible on that word rod there, because there's a reason that he has it. It says a scepter is elsewhere in Revelation. It, said, see, it says, see chapter 2, verse 27, uh, chapter 12, verse 5, and chapter 19, verse 15, where the, uh, a rod is mentioned in all these uh, various occurrences. It says, this measuring reed, listen to this, is like a scepter and measures for destruction, not for building. See Lamentations 
and I'll leave that verse for you guys to go check out. But the in, the in, inference in the companion Bible is that all these measurings that John is going to do, it's all being measured for destruction. And this uh, temple here that he's going to be measuring, let's read the rest of the verse and we can get the context. It says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, uh, and the angel stood saying, well, that part's left out. So it literally should read, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod, saying, and the saying is from whoever the giver of the, of the rod is. That's the one doing the talking. So the one doing the talking says rise. And that's uh, Egersis, I do believe. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Well, this is on the earth. And this temple does not exist, as I understand today. There's a Newton Companion Bible um, that that deals with that. Um, then, let's see. If you, where it says, tread out the foot. Let's read verse 2. It says, but the court which is without or outside the temple, leave out or ignore it and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. For forty-two months. So see, now we're getting into some time specifics here. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And you'll see this three and a half years mentioned several times in several different ways as we go through some of the prophecies here that are mentioned in the book of the Revelation. So look at the, the note on tread underfoot there in verse 2. It says this, this term's used only here. Um, and in verse, uh, in chapter 14, verse 20, chapter 19, verse 15, Luke 10, 12, and Luke 21, 24. Uh, it says all these particulars refer to an actual temple. The church of God knows nothing of an altar here, or of a naos, or of a court of the Gentiles. All point to the temple yet to be built in the holy city, i.e. Jerusalem. This temple will be uh, on earth. It will not be a temple in the heavens. This is a temple that is yet to be built on the earth. All they have of the temple in the, in the city of Jerusalem as we know it today um, you know, they, they say there's a wailing wall there that was originally part of the, um, the foundation that the Temple Mount was built on. But the Lord said there wouldn't be one stone left upon another that was not thrown down. So I really wonder if that's part of, if that has anything to do with the Temple or not. I don't really think it does. I think they think it does. That's Ronnie's opinion. Uh, you can agree with that or disagree with that, but you know the the um, the folks who are there and call themselves Jews today certainly believe that what they call the Wailing Wall is uh, is part of the original temple. Uh, there is a mosque, uh, the Dome of the Rock, I believe they call it, which sits on the site where the temple was to this day. And uh, so I know that at some point that's got to come down, and uh, probably right where the old temple was, there's going to be another temple be built. So interesting things there uh, yet to come for I sure. Think, I think the uh, earthquake on the Mount of Olives is going to take care Might of that. Might take care of some of that. Let's look at verse 3. 
He says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. Whoa, time out. Now we have new characters that appear in the uh, that appear in the in the study here. Two witnesses. This is interesting. The whoever's giving him the rod and telling him to measure says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. That's always like a, a morning type situation, or a uh, uh, a situation where whoever's in the sackcloth is, you know, they used to do sackcloth and ashes for morning. So it's a morning type situation, which kind of goes along with the fact that these, you know, all this is being measured for destruction, not for for building. So these two witnesses, look at the note in the companion Bible. And let's look at some of the comments that um, that are in the CB on this one. Uh, it says, God has not specified their names. Well, that's interesting. We know that these two men are to be raised up in that day, endowed with wondrous powers to execute a special mission. Uh, they're called emphatically my two witnesses. It says, see uh, chapter 1, verse 5. So let's roll back to Revelation 1, 5 for just a minute and see where they're mentioned here. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So there it mentions um, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, uh, that being the same same word there. Uh, used in one five that's used here of these two witnesses. Well, let's read about them a little bit. It says in verse four, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth or before the Lord of the land is how that should be pronounced is uh, or how it should be translated as these are standing before the Lord of the land. And listen to this. This are some of the characteristics of these, these two witnesses. It says, If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. So they're going to have enemies. And they obviously will have people who are going to try to hurt them, as the scripture says. And it also says that they have the perfect ability to defend themselves. Because it says anybody trying to hurt them, that fire proceeds out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. So however he, I guess however he tries to hurt them, that's how that person ends up getting killed in that day. These, listen, in verse 6, there's a lot of stuff said about these two witnesses. This is an interesting part of Revelation that I haven't looked at that hard, but it still strikes me as being intriguing and in, in, in where these really fit uh, in the story here. These have power, it says in verse 6, to shut heaven. That it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Well, I see then if we're talking about heaven and rain, then it's 
It's a limited heaven, the, the heavens of the sky. They have the power over rain, rainfall. They have the power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And they have the power over waters to turn them to blood. Interesting. That they have some kind of power over water. Whether it be water in the form of rain, or collected water in the form of the lakes or the oceans. And they can turn the water to blood. Very interesting. And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Well, I can see how if they're uh, commissioned to do this, that that's going to stir up enemies against them. So another of the, uh, these two witnesses are interesting beings that that come forth that, you know, have some special powers, obviously, and have been endowed with uh, the ability to defend themselves. It's it's kind of kind of interesting. Verse seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, listen to this. This is where it really gets interesting. When they have finished their testimony, or their their testimony ended, uh, they are at the, when their testimony ends, as the note says, then they're at the mercy of their enemies. So they are they are commissioned to come and to speak and to be able to defend themselves and do all these plagues for a certain time. But when their testimony ends, then they are at the mercy of, of their enemies. Listen to this. So when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. Oh, where did he come from? Have we seen this beast yet? Or is he yet to be mentioned? You see how I mean about what I mean about these various characters that interact with the storyline of the revelation. It's not necessarily in chronological order. But let's read. When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, that obviously is the same one that has been mentioned in previous, the bottomless pit, remember? Satan has the key, and he opens it up. And remember our uh, our locusts that came out of there, the ones that look like horses, had the faces like men. These that come out of the bottomless pit, listen, shall make war against them, the two witnesses, and shall overcome them and kill them. Wow, well, that's interesting. And this is even more interesting. Verse eight. And their dead bodies, their corpses, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Ah, well, where's that? Anybody remember where the Lord was crucified? Crucified in Golgotha. Mm-hmm. Where was Golgotha? Wasn't it right outside Jerusalem? Yes. I think so. It said spiritually it's called Sodom and Egypt. <laughs> because they've turned their, because they've turned their minds and their backs away from the God that created them and gave them all things. Interesting. Verse 9. Also, the dead bodies, the dead body, the Jehu, Kill the 
lady of the evening. Yeah, you know, I thought there, about that. With a chariot. Mm-hmm. He said, don't bury her. But two and a half days later, he went back and buried what was left of her, and it was all in her hands. A lot of people asked, how did they know it was her? By the way, her fingernails were. Mm-hmm. I remember that we, was all it was yeah, we talked about that in yeah. one of your studies. That's, in, that's an, another interesting study to do. It says in verse 9, And they of the people in kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies, the two witnesses, three days and a half. Uh, there's three and a half days. That's a representation. Yep. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So the corpses are just going to lay there yeah. and not be put in graves, similar to what Dab's talking about here in the other study we did. Verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another. Oh, it's a great time. These two witnesses that brought such plagues and turned the water to blood and caused all these famines because of lack of rain, they're dead, so it's party time. Right? On the earth. Party time on the earth. So they're going to make merry and, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. When the tormentors die, the tormentees have a party, evidently. That's how it works. Verse 11. Here's where it gets really interesting. As if the rest was not interesting enough, here's where it gets really interesting. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God. You see this? Here's a perfect lesson of how this works. <coughs> the spirit of life from God indwells each of us. With it we are a living soul. When that spirit of life of God is not with us, we are a dead soul. You are a corpse, in other words. You're a body without any life. This Spirit of God does not have any consciousness or memory or emotion or record or anything of itself. It merely is God's power to live, like a battery in a tool. You know, we make all these power tools for in my job, and about everything has gone battery-powered. But the battery is really where the work is. The battery is like that spirit of God. Because, you know, I can make the nicest tool that can ever be made, but without one of our batteries to go in it, it just sits there. The body of the tool is there. But it, it doesn't do or function or perform like it was designed to do without that battery. The power given must be changed into energy for it to work. Yeah. The power comes from the one who has the power, and that's God. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. After three days, verse 11, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. The spirit of life from God was gone from them for three and a half days. Now, after that time, it enters back into them. And they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them that saw them. I bet it did. Or bet it will. Three days, you were considered dead. Yep. 
And it's the same with the Lord. After three days in the Jewish economy, you're considered gone. You're gone. Uh, officially, lawfully, and for every other purpose, you're dead. You know, they, you know, they didn't have all the instruments like we have today where they, they can hook you up and say, well, he's got no brain rhythm. He's got no heart rhythm. He's got no blood pressure. He's got nothing. He's gone. That's, it's pretty easy today. Back then, they could be in a deep coma or something and it's, you know, you really don't know. They really didn't have a lot of ways to determine if someone was truly dead or not back then. But man, if you laid there for three days, they pretty much wrote you off. You were you were considered legally gone. So great fear fell upon them which saw them after that Spirit of God came back into them. Interesting. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they, listen to this. This is, uh, here we have actually happening what a lot of people think happens to them today when they die. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Wow. Isn't it interesting that in John, John says, No man hath ascended into heaven except him that came down from heaven. Even as late as the writing of the Gospel of John, John makes that declaration. I believe it's in John 3, if I'm not mistaken. Tony, you might want to. If you can look that up and put it up there. I believe it's in maybe John 3, 13, if I'm not mistaken. No man hath ascended into heaven except the one that came down from heaven, even Christ, who is ascended into the heavens. I believe he was the only one as of the dating of the writing of the Gospel of John. But here, in the future, beyond that time, we have two that are resurrected, and then they ascend into heaven. As it's written. Now, I did get it right. Amazing. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. As of the writing of the Gospel of John, Christ had come down from heaven. He had done the work. He had been crucified. He had been resurrected. He taught the disciples for the 40 days. And at the end of that, at Acts chapter 1, it says they watched him ascend into heaven. And the angel said, why do you stand gazing? This same Jesus that you saw go into heaven will in like manner return to the earth. But as of the writing of the Gospel of John, that had not, the second coming has uh uh, the second coming has not taken place, and as of the writing of John, nobody else had ever ascended into heaven. Now, this is a little bit of a problem for everybody that says, you know, we got folks in heaven. You don't hear this verse preached on very much, or if they do, they'll say, well, this means um, this means their body, not their soul, because... Evidently, according to them, someday the soul is going to be taken and put with the body and then the whole thing resurrected and then they go back to heaven for some reason that I can't ascertain yet. Because it doesn't make any sense. If you die and immediately your soul goes to heaven, why do you need a body? I mean, that right there proves the body's worthless. It's not necessary. And I know this isn't a study about that, but it kind of gets over into it if you think about it a little bit. 
So verse 12, they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour, verse 13, there was a great earthquake. Things began to happen. And the tenth part of the city fell. I assume again, this is the great city of Jerusalem. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The ones that were left were scared. It says, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. Everybody still here okay? Okay, it must just be Dorothea. Listen, verse 14, check it out. The second woe is past. Oh, we've been reading about one of the woes. Remember, we left the first woe. Let's see. Where was it the first woe ended? Do you remember? Uh, in chapter 9, verse 12, it says, One woe is past. So since chapter 9, verse 12, we've been kind of reading about the second woe. So here, when we get to 11.14, the second woe is past. So all the events, I, I would assume, from 9.12 to 11.14 are the second woe. So what are we going to start now? I wager we're going to start on the third woe. And behold, look at verse 14. As if to make a prophet out of Ronnie. <laughs> and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Here it comes. And then as the third woe is announced, as we read in uh, verse 14, verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded. We're back to the, remember the seven angels? Yeah. We're back to them again. So you see how Revelation has a lot of detail about what happens, so you can't get lost in the weeds that's why I say you almost have to diagram it out to have any semblance of understanding what's going on. So the seventh angel sounded, verse 15, and there were great noises in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world, this probably cosmos there, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Big statement there to begin out the third woe, to start the third woe. Because it says what in verse 14? That the third woe cometh quickly. Verse 16. Ah, here's a mention of the 24 elders again. The, it calls them elders here, but these are beings. Um, they're called elders constantly, but these are spirit beings. They're, um, they're angels, I think, with a uh, particular, um, with a particular station within the hierarchy of the angelic order that God's created. Now make no mistake, God's angelic order, I believe, has rank and file and hierarchy to it. That it's not willy-nilly. Uh, you don't just have a bunch of angels floating around doing this or that. They're very well organized. Uh, according to God's will and purpose. So it says, And the four and twenty elders, in verse 16, uh, and that's why they want to skip any of this, because we constantly see 
these various spirit beings as we go through the chapters of Revelation. And I really don't want to miss any of them, and I think they're all there for a reason, and we need to, to give them the credence that they deserve. The 24 elders which sat before God on their seats. Ah, we've seen these several times in other chapters. Remember? Several earlier chapters mentions these 24 elders. That sat on their seats, they fell upon their faces and worshipped God once again. It seems like every time a big event comes up, these 24 elders make a move. They fall down on their faces and they worship God Almighty. And I think it's kind of in unison. I think it's, oh, yeah. it is a voice of voices. Yeah, they, I guarantee you it's all in perfect harmony, uh, executed absolutely according to the will of God. Yeah. And they all fall down and they worship God, it says, saying. Here's what they're saying in verse 17. They say, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. They're thankful. Which art and was... And art to come. God is, He was, and He is to come. You see that? The same yesterday, today, and forever. We have scripture that backs that up. They say, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and washed and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power. And reignest, not have, has reigned, but you reign. Thou reignest. You have taken to thee thy great power and reignest. See, for eons, God has given over some of that power to thee, so that all things may be fulfilled that are according to his word. But these beings fall down thankful that now God is taking back this power. You see judgment begin and the destruction of all things that offend taking part or taking place here in the Revelation. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And these 24 elders are certainly thankful uh, because they mentioned that he's taken to thee thy great power and that you reignest. We're glad that you reign, not the evil beings, not the evil angels. Not Satan, but we're glad that you reign. And it says in verse 18, you know, so there we have some things that take place in heaven, and it kind of bounces back and forth, things in heaven, things on earth. Remember? Verse 18 says this, And the nations were angry. What? The nations were angry. And thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to all the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Huh. So what are they thankful for? They're thankful that God has taken back the power. They're thankful that God reigns. And they and it immediately says, now the nations are angry. Why are they angry? Well, it tells you. They're angry because the wrath of God has come. 
and the time of the dead that they should be judged is come, and the time that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, is come, and the time is come that he should destroy them which destroy the earth. All that time is here, it says. Very interesting. Verse 19. It says, in the, and this is it, this is real interesting to me. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. Now this is, uh, the temple that exists in heaven was the pattern of the temple that was reproduced to a degree on the earth. And I respectfully submit with respect to our gold study that if the temple on the earth had a lot of gold in it, I'm willing to bet the temple in heaven has even more. This temple in heaven is going to be quite a place, I would, I would assure you. So this temple of God was opened in heaven, John says, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Do you know what this is? The ark of the covenant. So Indiana Jones didn't really find it at all. I don't see too many people grinning about that. Yeah. If you remember the the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, where the the Nazis were trying to get uh, and control the power of the Ark of the Covenant, they had it in a they had it in a crate somewhere. <laughs> I see everybody's laughing. Yeah, you're, you're laughing just like I was when I say, now the movie's good entertainment. I will give you that. And Harrison Ford does a really good job. We, somehow, somehow every Sunday we end up back in the movie somehow or another. But the big fight was over the Ark of the Covenant. Man, I remember the last scene when the, when the Germans finally captured it, you remember? And they sent the guys up there to open it, and when they opened it, man, all Hades broke loose. Yeah, that's right. Good call, Chico. It's in God's warehouse. It's not in man's warehouse. So do you think we really need to waste any time looking for the Ark of the Covenant? One verse takes care of that for me. I don't think you're going to find it. I don't think anybody's going to find it. So when the, when the temple of God is opened in heaven, what do you see? Well, we got the Ark of the Covenant there. I know that. The Ark of this Testament. And there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake. And this is another earthquake in addition to the local one they had in Jerusalem there where the, the 7,000 were killed. And an earthquake and great hail. And hail again. All these natural disaster related things that are mentioned in the book of Revelation is mind-boggling. How many times this happens, either on a global scale or a local scale? It's pretty amazing when you get at it and get in and look at it. Now, I'm out of pretty much out of time for today. And I hope you got a little bit out of going through Revelation 11. But I want you to know, and we're, I'm certainly not going to start 12 through 15 today, 
because of time. But I have a big note at the bottom of my Bible, and I want you to consider it. It says chapters 12 through 15 are a parenthetical insertion. Because what I want you to do for just a second as we get ready to close here, if we, if we take 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15 out, and turn to chapter 16, verse 1, put your finger there. I'll give you a second to do that, because I can hear them pages turning, even though I've got the microphone locked. <laughs> And you roll back to 11.19. Let's read it again. I'm going to read 11.19 and then I'm going to skip right to 16.1. And I want you to see if it makes sense. So Revelation 11.19 says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. 16.1 says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple. Ah! You see what I mean? 12 through 15 to me is obviously a parenthetical insertion to give us more information. But it's information that literally begins at a different time with these visions, these signs that occur, not visions, but signs, simeon, that occur in the heavens. So 16.1 says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, To the seven angels, remember the seventh angel, as we read, just had opened all of his bag of tricks. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So we're talking to the same seven angels there, but you don't get to that until you get to chapter 16. So we're going to pause the current story at 11.19, and we'll pick it up again at 16.1. So you're saying, well, Ronnie, what in the world is in the middle of all that? Well, it gets interesting. (laughs) I know I continually say that, but it does. You see what I mean about jumping from Revelation? Tony's got it listed out here in the chat perfectly because he's got 11.19. And if you read 16.1, it's as if you can go right on without those other four chapters. And that's what I'm saying is that 12 through 15 need to be looked at independently because they're kind of standalone. They're... They're put in as a parenthetical insertion right in the middle of the book. Here where we are. So having said that, um, and without enough time to proceed, we will stop at um, Revelation 12 here, and we will pick up with that uh, next week, uh, Lord willing. And I, I appreciate everybody being with us today and your time and and uh, all of your attention. I hope you got a little bit out of this Um I know this is a very superficial study of the book of Revelation uh, as it relates to our subject of angels, but um, I still think it's necessary that we stop and look at this in as, as much detail as, uh, as we can afford and bring out as we move through um, our study of angels. So bow with us, and I'll close, and, 
we'll um, we'll unlock the mic. Father, again, we thank you for your beautiful word. We thank you for the 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 power of it, Father, for the majesty of that which is written, and that we see the power, your power, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate judge on each and every page of the Revelation. God, we're thankful not only for this, but for all your word, Father, because we know that it is all profitable for us, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and, Father, for instruction in righteousness. And we know that it holds all these things for us. Be with us, Father, and continue to lead God and bless us. Be with those that we mentioned earlier, Father, those that still need yet a, a touch from you and for comforting uh, and for healing, Father, for whatever the, the situation and the condition may be. Father, we pray that as we try to make your word known to the world, that you would continually send those our way that need to hear it according to your plan and purpose. And, Father, we know that that's the purpose that you purposed in Christ before the world even was. And, God, we're thankful for that and for your judgment and for your plan and purpose and not ours. Be with us. Father, lead, God, bless, and keep us. And keep us on our path for you according to that purpose. For it's in Christ's name today we do humbly pray. Amen.